This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, June 9th, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo has taken two stabs at the First Amendment in the same week. He's taken a hard line on behalf of the Empire State against businesses that would dare refuse to do business with Israel. And he's offered some confusing clarification on the state's campaign finance system. David Keating of the Center for Competitive Politics offers his thoughts. Andrew Cuomo of New York has essentially ordered uh, agencies under his control to uh, divest themselves of companies that are aligned with uh, so-called BD, the BDS movement, which is boycott, divest, sanction. Uh, and these are companies that are essentially aligned with people who oppose many of the actions that Israel takes. And uh, as you noted before we started recording, his Cuomo's words on this were a lot stronger than the executive order. So what did he order them to do? Well, first, I'd like to quote his words because they're pretty amazing um, when you think about it. And it says, uh, today, I'm going to sign an executive order that says very clearly we are against the BDS movement. And it's very simple. If you boycott against Israel, New York will boycott you. If you divert revenues from Israel, New York will divert revenues from you. If you sanction Israel, New York will sanction you, period. Thank you. And he's saying this to, uh, I don't know, some uh, audience that's full of Americans that favor Israel. I forget uh, the The Harvard Club in Manhattan, uh, an audience that included local Jewish leaders and lawmakers. Uh, they described the BDS movement as an attack, economic attack on Israel. Right. I, I think it, I disagree with this movement very strongly. But when you look at these words from Governor Cuomo, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. We're going to boycott you. So does this mean if you're a doctor in New York and you do Medicaid, they're going to cut off your funding? Does it mean if, we, if you divert revenues from Israel, New York will di- divert revenues from you? Well, if you're a taxpayer or a small businessman, are we going to set up your business for a special audit and see what kind of taxes perhaps you haven't paid under a very aggressive interpretation of the law? There's a lot of potential for abuse here. And uh, it's not only the text. The text of the executive order is far more modest. But part of the problem is when you have uh, chief officers of a state, governors, presidents, you name it, coming out with this kind of rhetoric against certain people who hold certain views, well, look, the average bureaucrat's going to hear about this, and they have a lot of discretion about how they treat individuals or organizations, and they can abuse this discretion. We saw this kind of problem crop up with the IRS. Uh, President Obama, a lot of leaders, uh, Democratic leaders in the U.S. Senate in particular, were hammering the IRS to do something about organizations that were uh, protesting uh, Obamacare or getting involved in, in politics generally. And look what happened. And when you have this kind of rhetoric from the governor, who knows what kind of New York bureaucrat will decide, hey, the governor wants us to stop this BDS movement. What can I do as an employee? So I think that's one of the problems. But if you look at the executive order, that raises a lot of uh, 
tough questions, too. And I think it's it's bad as a matter of policy. Whether it's unconstitutional under the First Amendment, I don't know. It's something we're looking into. I mean, it certainly is is troubling from the perspective of, you know, you run a company, you have opinions, uh, and if you own that company uh, outright, it, it seems uh, perfectly appropriate for you to express those opinions as Ben and Jerry have done, as Dr. Bronner has done, as uh, you know, numerous companies have missions. Sometimes they view those missions as ethical missions. And for a state to say, well, you can't have this mission if you want to be treated as all of these other companies are treated within the state of New York. Exactly. And it's, it goes even beyond that. I mean, you just think about putting this into place, it kind of makes your head spin because certainly New York invests in index funds. Well, index funds have thousands of corporate investments across the world. They probably have hedge fund investments from some of the New York pension funds. Well, that means the hedge funds need to go through this list. New York is keeping – the fact that New York is even keeping a list, that's part of the executive order. New York is going to make a list of – presumably organizations, corporations, maybe even people that somehow have supported the BDS movement. And if you're on this list, New York is going to take some not terribly well-defined actions against you. That, I think, is a, you know frightening in its implications for free speech. Now, uh, Cuomo, this is only one of two things that Cuomo's done uh, recently. He uh, talked about uh, his opposition to the Citizens United uh, ruling in very, very strong terms. He's described the uh, Citizens United decision you know, as but what was what was interesting, if you look at his speech, he, he, he attacked the decision, but I found one thing that was really interesting is that I'm not sure he disagreed with the result. Because he said, well, maybe they should have just said, it's just a movie. Maybe he remembered Michael Moore's films uh, that criticized Bush, right? So he was probably sympathetic to the idea that Citizens United had made a movie. And maybe he would have been okay with the Citizens United decision if it only talked about movies or books. Uh, but obviously, he went, he went uh, far, far uh, beyond that. He's compared it, and, and he's not alone in doing so, uh, compared Citizens United to Dred Scott or uh, the Korematsu decision, which, which is just really, really striking. I mean, Dred Scott essentially found these people aren't people, and Korematsu said, well, because of your race, you're, you're going to go to a special camp for a few years. It's ridiculous, really. I mean, totally ridiculous. So what, I mean, what is his actual argument or what is he trying to achieve? Well, what he's trying to do, um, again, he didn't really do anything. He just made a speech for Fordham Law School and he, he put out a press release and a governor's council memorandum to various state agencies saying what the governor's council's interpretation of the law on independent expenditures. And look, a, a good case can be made that New York's law is not terribly well defined in terms of what's an independent expenditure and what's coordination. 
it's a good idea to make it clear so people can actually navigate around these rules and not worry about some bureaucrat in the Joint Commission on Public Ethics coming up with some novel interpretation about what coordination is. That's what happened in Wisconsin with the John Doe investigation. We had these totally weird interpretations of very vague laws. And New York's laws are not that great. So yes, they probably should clarify them. The problem is you look at the governor council's memo and it raises more questions than already raised by the current law. So he's, he's actually, by issuing this memorandum, has actually made the situation worse, not better. And part of the problem is there are things in there that no one has talked about before in terms of what might constitute coordination. For example, the simple fact that an independent group has received donations from someone that has also made a donation to a candidate supported by the independent group would give evidence of coordination. That's that's really strange as a concept. Well, of course, if someone's supporting an independent group that's doing independent expenditures in support of a candidate, it wouldn't be terribly surprising that that person gave money to that candidate's campaign. That has nothing to do with coordination. The fact some individual has written a check to both or you know both the candidate's campaign and an independent group. And and even going to the the where the law actually does speak to this, if you give money to a campaign, you don't control that money anymore. And if you give money to a group that is. Uh, supportive of that candidate, you don't control the money anymore. There's no, you're not a conduit for anything. Right. So, you read stuff, you read things like that, and you think, whoa, what, you know, who's going to be penalized here? And uh, violating this law in New York is a, it's, I think it's called a class three or class E felony. Um, I forget the exact amount. It's not an insignificant criminal charge. So a felony for violating a vague law that is uh, meant to, in some ways, keep people from talking in public about candidates. Exactly. And that's, um, you know, it's not just, look, the number of people who probably get thrown in jail for something like this improperly, probably a small number, maybe zero. But it's not just that. The fact is, the government can make your life totally miserable without throwing you in jail, okay? If, if the New York uh, Attorney General decides to raid your business, raid your home, take away your computers, and th put your name in the paper, someone under investigation for illegal coordination with you know, a candidate or group or something, it's going to cost you a lot of money in legal fees. It's going to ruin your reputation with many people. If you're running an organization, it's probably going to put the group out of business. And campaign finance lawyers like to call this the process is the punishment. And I hate that term because to me, it means it's punishment for speaking, even if you've done nothing wrong. Even if you're adjudicated to have right. done nothing if, wrong. Right. Even if you've found to have done nothing wrong, <laughs> the government had no case. They can, they can totally make you pay a big bill, uh, not only financially to lawyers to help defend you, but to your reputation simply for speaking out. And that's that's the huge part of the problem with what Cuomo's done here with putting out this memo and making the speech. He's put a lot of bureaucrats on notice in New York is, I want you to do something about this. We have to put a stop to this. 
And that's going to encourage people to get way too zealous uh, about a very restrictive reading of what the law means instead of coming out with guidance that makes things clear so people know what's okay and what's not okay. More broadly, that idea that the process is the punishment, that is for some people uh, a feature of campaign finance law, right? Is the process well, it's a of terrible feature. Like compliance, the challenge of compliance will keep groups of people we don't like from speaking, and that's a feature for a lot of people. I guess you could call it that, but I, I, obviously it's not a very good feature. It's definitely a huge, huge problem. And it's, it's a huge problem because the people, look, everyone has a bias. And I think this is part of the problem with campaign finance law just generally. Even if you could come up with a perfect campaign finance law that's fairly written, properly constitutional under the First Amendment, Who's going to enforce this law? How are you going to find people that are totally unbiased? Because most people have strong political views. And if you look at someone who has strong political views that disagree with your political views and they're doing something that might or might not be wrong, that that's tough. And in New York, uh, I can't say I have a lot of confidence in the Joint Commission on the Public Ethics. This is the same agency, for example, that issued a ruling in January, something that we're litigating against right now on behalf of some clients. They issued a ruling saying that public relations firms have to register as lobbyists if they contact an editorial page editor or columnist about a public policy issue in New York. Because a lawmaker might read that editorial page? I, I guess. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's these people are not well-grounded in, in First Amendment law or just things that are reasonable. I mean, the idea that we're going to make PR firms register as lobbyists is crazy. But that's, that's the official opinion in New York, and that's the subject of a lawsuit right now that we're helping uh, litigate. David Keating is president of the Center for Competitive Politics. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.